1 Samuel chapter number 17. We're going to be looking at David and Goliath this morning. You know, it's a story that most people know of or have heard of. You've been through it in Sunday school. But I just want to look at a couple things maybe you hadn't thought about as we look at it. And that's not to bring something out of the Bible that's not there, but it's just to point some, to some things that are. And uh, we're not going to cover, you know, how tall... Goliath was or how much his armor weighed or how much that sword and spear weighed and the trajectory of the rock and all that. Today we're just going we're going to look at David because there's something about David, you know, he doesn't just show up on the scene when Goliath gets there. He doesn't just show up on the scene when that rock is thrown or slump when that rock is slung and hits Goliath in the head. But David was called before that time. God had already prepared and been preparing David for that moment. And that's something that we don't think of. We, we isolate the story and we look at it and say, well, there's David. He's coming on the scene. He's bringing supper for the boys. His dad tells him to take them some vittles. His dad, I'm not going to be too crazy, but his dad tells him to take, take some dinner, take some lunch, take some food to the, my sons, and they're out there on the battlefield and, and take care of them. And he goes from leaving, he leaves the sheep, and he goes and he takes some food. But I want to look at another aspect of this. David, he was called ahead of time. You know, you may have a burden in your life. God may have laid a burden on your life. God may have have given you a burden for somebody, a burden for something, a calling. And it doesn't matter what it is. But God lays it on your heart. And when he lays it on your heart, it's not like getting hired for a job where you show up Monday morning. When God begins to move in your heart, he prepares you for what's coming. The things that I like most about when God calls you, he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. All right, so 1 Samuel chapter number 17, let's start reading. He says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shokah, which belongeth to Judah and pitched between Shokah and, and Azekah and Ephesadamim. <laughs> and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, and he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders." And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him, and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants." But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
And when, all, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So they're out on the battlefield, and this one Philistine comes out, and they're ready for a fight. And let me tell you something, it's a lot more comfortable fighting when you got somebody next to you than that fella, that giant fella standing in the middle and saying, come on out and fight me. It's personal now. The man that goes out there, he's going to be fighting and facing Goliath, but he's going to be facing them for the armies of Israel. Now all of a sudden, the courage that you might have had with those beside you, well, I, I may not be that man. I may not be the one to go forward. But this moment wasn't prepared for anyone that was on the battlefield. That's the point I want to get to today. David was called ahead of time. God had a purpose for him. God had a reason for him. God wanted him to be king of Israel. See, when we go back to chapter number 15 there, over in chapter number 15, Saul's given a command. Saul is the king, and he's given a command to take out the Amalekites. The Amalekites have been a curse and a thorn in the side of Israel. God says, take them out. Take out every one of them. That's a whole other sermon because that's a type of the flesh in a way. We're to take those things out. If we leave things behind in our lives, those things will come back and haunt us. Saul was supposed to take out the Malachites, but he didn't. He was supposed to take out the cattle, but he didn't. They kept them for a reward. They spoiled the Amalekites. and they, In other words, they took every, what, what the good stuff was. They said, man... I know we're supposed to eliminate these sheep. I know we're supposed to get rid of these goods and not take them. But, man, this would go for good on eBay. You like how I go modern preacher on you? They bring them back, and they, they've got them there. And Saul said, you know, we did what God said. We took out the Amalekites. I got the king right here. I've disabled him. They're not going to be bothering anybody anymore. But God made it very clear there. If you read for yourself over in the beginning of 15, he said, eliminate everything. And I'm paraphrasing for time, just for the sermon. And Samuel shows up. God sends Samuel to him. He says, it repenteth me that I've made God Saul king. Samuel shows up, and he knows what's going on. You may think that you're fooling somebody, but you're not fooling God. And God's man, he shows up and he, he says, didn't, didn't God make you a king from the smallest tribe? Didn't he raise you up to be king? And he gave you this command. And if you'd have done it, you'd be established forever. And Saul said, well, I did all that God commanded. And my favorite, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, what made it then the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle? It's like the kid walking up to you and say, I didn't have any of the cookies, Mom. <laughs> Mom's looking at the boy, are you sure? No, Mom, I didn't have any. Chocolate all over his hands and his face. What meaneth then this chocolate on your hands and face? What meaneth then the, low, the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the cattle? So God prepares another king. He says, it repented me. Look back at chapter number 15. Verse number 22. Samuel's talking to him, and here's another passage to write in your heart. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings, because Saul had offered up an excuse. He said, we, we, this, all this stuff, these sheep and these cattle, we took them so that we could sacrifice them to the Lord. Let me tell you something. Sacrificing your sin to the Lord means nothing 
to the Lord. Offering up something that you should have turned away, that you shouldn't have had in the first place, offering it up to the Lord, that wasn't what he wanted. He said, uh, and then verse 22, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Right there is a hint of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they followed the law to the letter, and they were so good at it. I've talked about this time and time again. We just went through some sermons on it. The Pharisees were so good at keeping the law on the outside. Jesus said, no, you said it's this, but I say it's this. And Jesus was internalizing the law. Keeping the law on the outside, keeping yourself clean, none of that counts for anything. It's in the heart. He says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of lambs. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So he, he takes Saul away. Saul's still king. He's still in place. But God's done with his plan for him. And he's got another king in mind. So we get to chapter number 16. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long without mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. Samuel goes there and he goes under the pretense of doing the offering and because he doesn't want Saul to know what he's doing. But he talks to Jesse and he says, bring out your sons. Now Saul, when he was chosen, he was a king that they could respect. He was a king that they could look at and they'd say, man, there's our king. It's like looking at the quarterback. He's six foot seven and he can launch the ball over everybody's head. Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else. They looked at him and said, that's the king. They saw him out in the field and they said, that's the king standing head and shoulder above everybody. They were looking on the outside. So Jesse brings his sons forward one by one. And this is by way of just getting us to it. Jesse brings his Sons, one by one, and Samuel looks, and he sees one of the sons, and he said, surely this is the one God has chosen. And then God tells Samuel something. Over in verse number seven, look at that. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Is what's in your heart that God looks at. We think that we can impress him. That's why having Jesus Christ as your Savior is so important. There are no amount of works that you can do to get into heaven. God wants to know where your heart is. It's with the heart man believeth unto righteousness when we get into Romans chapter number 10. It's with the mouth confession is made unto sin, but it's with the heart. It's trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and putting your sins... On him. He, he died to cleanse us. If your heart's toward God, if your heart accepts Jesus Christ, places your trust, that's how you get eternal life. It's not by works, but God looks on the heart. And God looked at David's heart and he saw a young man that he knew would follow him. And then in verse number 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren in the spirit of the Lord. See, because after all these brothers... And I skipped this part, but after all these brothers, God said, you're you're looking on the outward appearance. And he says, is this all your sons? And Jesse says, well, 
There's yet one more. Now that you mention it, it's a, he's out there keeping the sheep. He's out in the field. Verse number 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are here all, their, all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the younger, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and will of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And verse number 14 is sad to me. You know, Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. He said, I keep my body under submission lest I become a castaway. You know, and you hear those words and say, well, does that mean you get lost, Saul? Saul was a preacher. Saul was called by God for a purpose. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. You look over in Acts chapter 9 where Paul got saved and God had a a purpose for Paul. He said, lest I myself become a castaway. See, and, and I'm... Paul in the New Testament, but Saul in the Old Testament is king. He was chosen as king, but he'd become a castaway. He hadn't obeyed God. He was taken out of that calling. Verse number 14, but the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Saul lost his peace. The Bible talks about that peace that passeth understanding. You get out of fellowship with God, you lose that peace. So David is called here at this time. And then if you read further in the chapter, Saul, because he's troubled by this evil spirit, they say, well, maybe if we get a musician in here, it'll calm your spirit, King Saul. So they looked, he said, look out and see if there's a musician there. And they find David and they bring him in to the into the, I call it the castle. But they bring him into the palace with King Saul. And as he plays, then the spirit calms down. So keep this in mind that David is already in the palace. Saul has seen him. He's heard his music. But when we come on to the field here in chapter number 17, if you look at the end, at the end of the battle, Verse number 55, and when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, inquire thou whose son the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son art thou, young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So David receives his call and the point that I'm making here. When, you, when God moves on you to do something, when God gives you a call, it's not like getting a job. You don't show up on Monday morning and you're in that position. But God begins to prepare the way. And what we see here is a battlefield that is set up. And everyone on that battlefield is shaking in their boots when they see Goliath come out. Nine foot was one number I heard. Man comes out there and he's carrying weapons that none of them 
could handle. It'd take two men to carry him. He's wearing, he's wearing brass greaves. He's wearing armor. You imagine the length of his spear was like a weaver's beam. So you go out there on the field and you're ready with your sword. You've got to get past that to get to him first. So you had to first get past that. And then when you get in there, that armor that he's able to carry, it's heavier than anybody else is able to. You get in there, try, now try to land a blow. Let's just look at nuts and bolts of this. And they're shaking in their boots there. So when we look at the call, and we're looking at a preparation for the calling. And in the preparation, there's first the following. There's the obedience. David had the right heart. He was obedient to God where Saul wasn't. And then there's also the faith. And then the faith leads to fellowship. Let's take a look at this. Number one, David was following faithfully. He was out of the limelight. He was following God, but it wasn't putting him in anybody's sights. David was out there in the field when all the brothers were brought forth before Samuel to be chosen, to be anointed, to be king. He was out there and he was keeping the sheep. Jesse had called them all in. He knew all his sons and he said, man, these are strong. I don't know which one you're going to pick, Samuel, but here's the best of the best right here. And David, oh, I almost forgot about David. He was out there and he was just being faithful. The point of it being, and there's a lot of application in this message today, is being faithful with what God gives you. If God puts it on your heart to call somebody and you're not faithful in it, you can't expect him to put more on you. And this is where I get to the Sunday school lesson from last week. It stuck with me so much. I wrote it down when he said it. And it just stuck with me. He said, if we don't obey God, we don't obey God to receive rewards. You know, so many times we think, well, there's rewards in this if you do it. They're, they're God will reward me. Why, why hadn't God rewarded me? You know, uh, Jesus said the faithful servant will do what he said, and we have done what was required of us. You know, we, were, we have done what we were supposed to without expecting a reward. But what happens is we don't obey God to receive rewards. We obey him to receive what he has already prepared for us. And we see David faithfully following what is put in front of him. He's been anointed king, but he's not going to the palace and he's not starting to give orders. He's still out there keeping the sheep. He's still doing what his dad said. He's king, but he doesn't, he's not in that position. It just, that calling, you may not be ready for it. And I'll say it again. God doesn't call the equipped all the time. God equips the called. And I tell you, you learn a lot while you're in service to the Lord. Those that think that they've got it figured out, you know, and there's a lot of preachers, a lot of young preachers that get out there and are going to set the world on fire. Man, I've been to school. I know my Bible backwards and forwards, and I'm, I'm going to show these people what for. When Brother Grady passed away, and I was his associate pastor, and a and, uh, uh, one of the members, he asked me, he said, uh, you know, he pulled me aside and I was, they, they made me interim pastor, but I didn't know if I was ready yet to be pastor. 
But he asked me a question. And, you know, there's certain questions in your life that stick out to you. He said, are you ready to pastor? And in my mind, I went back. I said, well, you know, I've learned some things while I was in the Navy. I learned some things about telling people what to do and, and getting things done and taking care of things. And all this was going through my mind, the lessons I'd learned in leadership and being in the military and the leaders that I'd looked at that I respected and, and wanted to follow and I'd learned from them. All this went through my mind and I looked at him and I said, yes, sir, I, I believe I am. How many of you, when you see a young couple get married, say, oh, we got this. It's kind of the same thing. You're not quite ready for it. But see, God had been preparing David the whole time. God didn't just stick him in the palace, but David was out there keeping sheep. And while he was out there keeping sheep, he learned a few things. David learned about leading the sheep. He didn't beat the sheep. To get them to go somewhere, he led them. David learned about taking care of them when they were sick. David learned about about the weaker ones. And he learned, he had that time with the Lord. He had that time with God. And he learned to trust the Lord when the lion and the bear came. Look at uh, verse number 35. Or verse number... Look at verse number 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. This is what David was standing up against. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. He was faithful to do that. He said, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Now, David was out there to represent God. He was out there to fight for the Lord. And he looked back and he looked back on those times alone out there in the field and those times when there was nobody to call out to and those times when the attacks came and God helped him to overcome that. And he walks out and he sees that giant on the field and he sees nothing different. God's going to deliver him too. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. And he probably wrote him off from there. But David was faithful to follow. He was out of the limelight. He was out on his own, but he was with God. And he had observed God's deliverance. in part of the preparation process that God puts you through is you don't show up on Monday morning and you're in the position, but God equips you. He prepares you. The next thing, one of the other things that God begins to show you as he's preparing you is he builds your faith through those trials. David had learned faith through facing the bear and the lion 
but also in your faith. <laughs> and I call this bad press. David shows up on the field and everyone's afraid. And uh, verse number 13, and the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle and the names of his three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest and the three eldest followed Saul, but David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep to Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. And Jesse said unto David, his son, take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these 10 loaves and run to the camp of thy brethren and carry these 10 cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how they, thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took him when as Jesse has commanded him, he was being obedient. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath. Goliath by name out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them and all the men of Israel and they saw the man and fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, and this is the bad press. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine, and taketh away the reproach reproach from Israel? For who is the uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? And then the the armies answered. But look at verse number 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. When you go to face the giant, there's going to be some bad press. There's going to be some discouraging words from family or friends. When you begin to work for the Lord, when you begin to follow what God wants you, David's standing out there in faith and he said, why hast thou left those few sheep? You're sitting here asking about the reward for, for winning this battle. You got, get back to your sheep, David. Let the men handle this battle. He didn't let that discourage him, though. I like how it goes. See, David, this ain't a rip snorer like last week, but David, David says, well, you're right. I really couldn't do anything. And he just heads on back home. Here's your food. Here's what dad gave me. And he just loads up and heads back home, right? No. I like what David says. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And then look at verse number 30. It says, verse number 30, and he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. So what you have is you have a picture of David on the battlefield. David's got one focus. He sees 
Goliath defying the army of God. He sees Goliath out there trying to shame the God of Israel. It's not so much the army. It's not so much the men that are afraid. But here is this Philistine out there, and he is shaming God's people. He's threatening them, and they're backing down, and they're shaking. And all he can see is this Philistine is not going to talk bad about my God. And when he begins to step forward, and he, he, he's asking about what will be done to the one that takes him down. And his brother said, why have you left those few sheep? And David's over there talking, and he hears him. He said, what have I done now? And he begins talking to somebody else. He just ignores him. In your life, when you go to do something for the Lord, sometimes there's going to be some people that tear you down, but you got to be willing to say, no, what do you want, Lord? Amen. So the bad press. Bad press about the giant. Everyone was afraid. You could get caught up in the fear. Bad press about yourself, about your purpose, about your place, about your position. Did God really call you? It's not just friends and family. It'll be the devil. He'll get in your head and he'll tell you, God didn't call you for this. Are you sure? You want me to tell you how it happens? Brother Grady said, every Monday I quit. <laughs> By Monday evening, I rehire myself. <laughs> it can be tough. You remember Elijah? He's up on the mount. He's there before the 500 prophets of Baal. Man, he sees God work. He, 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 uh, he calls down the fire from heaven. He said, you make your altar and I'll, I'll go ahead, I'll wait. They cut themselves. They holler to their God. He said, we'll see who's God. And Elijah's up there on the mountain and he, he wets that altar down. I won't go in through the whole thing. But all this takes place. And not only that, but then Elijah prays and the rain comes back. It said Elijah had prayed and stopped the rain for three and a half years. Because that was God's will. And he prayed, and the famine ends, and this, all this happens. And, and I, th I think, this isn't in the Bible, but I think, because King Ahab stands by and lets Elijah slew, slew or slay the 500 prophets of Baal. And King Ahab watched that take place. That was his wife's prophets. That was the ones that worked for him, his wife. But I think Ahab, just for a moment, was coming back to the Lord. That maybe he was thinking, you know, I've, maybe he was about to repent. I don't know. But I think Ahab went home and he got to talking to Jezebel. And Jezebel says, he what? <laughs> he said, she said, the Lord do more to me. And also, if, if, I, if he's not dead by evening time. And a messenger sent out to Elijah. And Elijah's got to be on cloud nine because there's a revival that's taking place. All the people of Israel are beginning to turn back to God. The prophets of Baal are gone, and Elijah's cheered up. And then as he's walking, he gets that message. And next thing you know, he's at Juniper Junction. Now, y'all know the story. He goes and sits under the juniper tree, and he says, I'm not better than my father's. Let me die. Great big revival takes place, and he gets discouraged. The giant, giant's more than just overcoming a problem. The giant's about overcoming yourself, too. I tell you, it's a big one. When you're overcoming yourself, you got 
you think you, you can see the armor. You can see the spear that you'd have to get past. You can see the giant out there. But when you're fighting with the Lord, when the Lord's on your side, when God's called you to do something and you're in God's will, your eyes are on what God wants. He was obedient. He was following God. And now he's learning faith. The big obstacles, the bad press and the big obstacles. Look at uh, verse number four. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath the Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weight weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. So you got the big obstacles in your life, and they seem impossible to overcome. It's like I said, they get past the spear, they've got armor that none of them could carry. Just think he's going up against a tank. There's a T-85 out there, T-35, whatever. There's a tank out there, and he's about to go against it. In our own lives, those problems can seem like you're facing a tank. And they can be discouraging. They can call out to you. And he mocked them. Goliath mocked him. And it's also a personal battle. Not fighting with the army, but you're out there on your own. Fighting against the battle. And there's deadly consequences. Look at uh, David didn't have any armor. Look at uh, verse number 41. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? You're coming out to me with sticks, and here I am ready to fight a battle. You think I'm a dog? You're going you're gonna to beat me with a stick? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. There's some deadly consequences to this battle, because Goliath is going to humiliate him. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defiled. Let me just say this. I've said it over and over. You don't fight your battles on your own. You might can do some things to overcome. You might can come up with some things that will help you overcome a little bit. But I tell you what, even... Even in AA or something like that, where they're facing a big battle, they're facing addiction, they tell them, call out to your higher power. I'm not a big fan of that. They'll tell you to pray to the toilet, do whatever it takes, call out to a higher power. Realize, one of the steps is realizing that you're not able to do this alone. You're in a spiritual battle. And you're going unarmored without God. You're going without help if you go without God. David is out there fighting in the name of the Lord. So you learn, God gives you a call, 
And in the preparation process, there's following. There's being obedient to what God has put in front of you. It's the next step. It's the next step. What has God put in front of you now? So many times a young preacher will get called to the work, and he sees this big work. And uh, I remember uh, Brother Mike Reagan, he was talking about his pastor, and he was, he was telling him, we can do this. We could be doing this, and we could be doing this. And he said, it made me so mad because the pastor took a box of matches he had. He threw them across the desk at him. He said, go set the world on fire. You know, the victory in following or, or, or getting to God's calling is often found in service, right in the middle of service. David was doing what he told, was told, and he's facing that giant, and God's trying to show him some things. How many times do you think that David looked back as he was king and remembered fighting that giant? When David gets the victory, and we know how it goes, the five smooth stones, and that's a whole other sermon to itself because people come up with all kinds of things that the stones could be. I think it was for his brothers, Goliath's brothers. But we know that out of all the ways that David could have fought Goliath, he just did the one thing that he knew. David had a sling and a stave when he was taking care of the sheep. God had equipped him. He'd gone to Saul, and Saul said, well, if you're going to go out there, take my armor. You don't have any armor, go ahead and take mine. David tries it on. And it's hanging down here, and he can't hardly move. <laughs> like, like the kid whose mom bundles him up for winter. <laughs> and he goes down. And David's up there, and it's weighing him down, and he can't hardly move. It's like, well, you're protected, but you can't do anything. You can't fight with somebody else's armor. David said it hadn't been proved. I had to set it aside. God gives you the tools. He goes out there. He doesn't fight him with a sword. He doesn't, he doesn't strategize how he's going to get around the shield. He has that sling that he's been using. God showed him how to use it. He puts that stone in there. He slings it around. And he aims it. Just like he used to do at the, at the rats, at the coyotes, or whatever, at the lion, at the bear, whatever, to scare it off or Maybe he was just out there taking care of the sheep and slinging it around, but he did what he knew to do. God used what he knew to do. You know, in the New Testament, there's another picture of that when it comes to feeding the 5,000. A little boy brings his lunch. God uses that to feed the 5,000. You got to use what God gives you. You try to come out, I, I told you about the preacher boys. <laughs> We'd have the revival meeting. They'd let the young preachers get up one night. And, buddy, they'd get up there, and I'm talking trying to sling it and trying to slam it down. And, and man, they're shouting and they're squeaking up there because <laughs> they're trying to preach like the old preacher. You get up there and preach the way God gives you. If I got up here and I tried to preach at you like Charles Stanley, you all fall asleep. <laughs> if I got up here and tried to preach like Adrian Rogers, you'd probably fall asleep. I don't know. Maybe you all want that. But the only thing that helps me when I get up there and I say, man, how do I look out at these people? Lord, give me something that'll be a help and not a hurt. Give me something that'll lift people up and not drag them down. Lord, give me something that you want for them. Amen. 
And then I get in the pulpit. You know, the first time I came to preach here, it'd been a, it'd been a while. I'd preached a couple times. I'd preached a few times. But when I first came here and I didn't know anybody and y'all let me up in the pulpit, you remember that? We had come here. We were just trying to be faithful to be in church. We come and visit one week and you got your preacher, Jimmy. And I said, well, this is good. We, we, maybe this is just a place we can hide out. Jimmy gets up there and says, we're sitting out there and Jimmy's up there and he says, okay, well, next weekend's going to be my last weekend. (laughs) And I told the family, I said, now, look, when we go to this church, we're just visiting. We're just filling them out. We don't know. You know, they're real nice. We've had Bible study. I like just gathering around the Bible. I said, don't tell them I'm a preacher. We don't need to complicate. We don't need to muddy the waters. We're not trying to to get a job here. We just want to visit. We just want a place to rest. We just want a shelter. Don't tell them I'm a preacher. We're standing out there and talking to Brother Johnny. I don't know how it happened. Caleb said, well, my dad's a preacher. Did we not discuss this? Johnny said, well, I don't think you were supposed to say that. I just didn't want to muddy it up. Next thing, Johnny's saying, well, would you mind preaching for us? <laughs> well, it's a chance to preach. <laughs> yes, sir. I got up here that first sermon was on Elijah. And uh, I remember I gave my notes to Miss Ellen, and Miss Ellen was used to just putting whatever you gave her up on the you know, and Didi's looking up there and it said, uh, say a joke here or something like that. She'd put my, <laughs> she'd put my whole outline up there on the wall. But I got up here, I was scared. And, but all I could do was preach what God had given me. So David gets out there and all he can do is what God has given him. What he knew worked. What he, what was for him That armor wasn't for him. God was preparing David for something else. At the end of it, there's fellowship. Number one, David and Israel are given the victory. What comes out of this battle, what comes out of David facing Goliath, and that's that giant in his life, And let me take it back to the beginning. We don't obey God to receive rewards. We obey him to receive what he has already prepared for us. God had prepared a kingdom for David. David was just faithful to obey and faithful to do what God had told him and faithful that God would deliver the victory. And the victory was given to David and Israel, but the glory was given to God. Verse number 46, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And this is David talking, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistine this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Not that all the earth may know that there is a David and that I'm king, but that there is a God in Israel. 
And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. You can highlight that now. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose, and he came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling, with a stone, and smote the Philistine, and slew him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine, and took his sword, and drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champions... When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Shararim, I think, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? He wasn't known before. God gave the fellowship. God gave the victory to David and Israel. And God gets the glory. Verse number 18, and when it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul, God also gave fellowship. You know, when you're out there in the world, when you're away from God, God's already prepared a place for you. God's prepared something for you. Some young man, some young woman may be looking for a husband, for a wife. You know, you go with the world's way. You say, well, I'll get on this. I'll get on that. I'll go here where kids hang out. I'll go here. You just follow the Lord. God's called you. God may have called you to have that person. If you're faithful to do what God says, it won't be a reward when you get that person but it'll be God revealing what he's already prepared for you. That goes with the ministry. That goes with anything in your life. You know, and for us, it, God, God revealed a church in that sense. God prepares the way. He got an introduction to the king. He got an introduction to a new friend. And he got an introduction to Israel. So David, who was keeping the sheep, and he was out of sight, out of the limelight, keeping the sheep. He didn't make any plans. He was, he was anointed to be king, and he said, well, that's, that's great. Dad, I got to uh, take the sheep out, sheep out to the east field. All right, David, go ahead. He didn't say anything about a feast or anything. He just goes out there, and yeah, I, was I don't feel any different, but, you know. Talking to the sheep, I don't know. Whatever God wants. But we gotta get you fed right now. We gotta get you over to the over to the still waters so you can drink. 
and I got to keep an eye out so nothing attacks you. But after David gets to the Valley of Elah, doing what he said he's told to do, he's taking the food to his brothers, then he sees that enemy in front of him. Let me tell you something. You may be facing that enemy. You may be facing that giant. We're about to finish here. We're, you may be facing that giant. God's already prepared the victory, and God's already prepared the reward. An introduction to the king. He asked who he is. And then an introduction to a friend. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. So now David has been taken from the sheepfold to the palace. And that's where he dwelt. There's a lot more to the story. Because God was still preparing David, but this first battle is where God took him from, where he was taking care of the sheep, being obedient, being in the palace. Verse number five, and David went whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. God did the elevating there. You try to promote yourself, it's all just noise. But when you do what God tells you, when, you, when you're faithful to what God puts in front of you, it's God that does the lifting up. So he got an introduction to Israel. You're facing the giants in your life, being faithful to follow, learning faith, learning to trust God for the victory, and God gives you the fellowship. You know, I think this morning I just told a story. But it's God that makes it land home. He's the one that guides the stone. If God's spoken to your heart, if you'll stand.